Hi, everyone. I'm thrilled to welcome Lee Newman to the podcast today. Lee's story collection about Alaskan women, Nobody Gets Out Alive, was longlisted for the National Book Award and the Story Prize. Please read Lee's story, An Extravaganza in Two Acts, via the link on my website at kellyforden.com before listening to the podcast, because we are going to spoil it for you otherwise. We are doing a real deep dive into this story, and I cannot wait to share it with you. I absolutely love this story. You know, you're the only one that's picked that story. And so I'm actually super excited also to talk about it because it's very weird. But the two stories that always people want to talk about are Alcan, the one that's at like, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's 75 pages. Mm-hmm. And I cut it a thousand times. I was like, it's irrelevant. But everybody loves that one. They always love how Palace to talk about that. But I love extravaganza was... You know, if you think about it, there's a very reason, there's a big reason why I put it at the end and what it says about the whole collection. So I'm, and I loved writing it. It was the most joyous of all the stories to write. Well, it's so unusual. I mean, first of all, I picked it because it was available. Um, like I had, there were, I could have asked you, I would have loved to talk about many of them, but you're so accomplished that they have you behind a paywall at almost every oh, magazine. Oh, Jesus. So, <laughs> I could have sent you a book. My goodness. Well, no, no. I mean, I have the book too, but what I meant, oh. uh, so what I like to do is whoever listens to this, most of the time they're students and they're trying to learn oh, how to write yeah. fiction. So I'm trying to make it accessible. So I looked for one that they could just access and it was this one, but it's so great because I never get to talk to anyone about historical fiction, which, and you never, you hardly ever see historical fiction in a short story. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like, I never that asked was anybody about That reason. was intentional. Okay. Like I, when I started writing the collection, it became like a personal artistic, I don't know what, like a crazy alter to what I'd failed at during my life. I wanted to write perfect stories that felt like novels and I wanted to write them, each one being kind of either a technical and I wouldn't say challenge, but like I wanted to do different things. I wanted to do like a round off and a cartwheel and like a the right. ball and the you know the spinning thing with the ladies and they flip off and they do that. Right. So I wanted to have you know I wanted to have a story that had fantastical elements and I wanted to and I wouldn't I didn't predetermine this. I didn't like write an outline. Like right. I would do one story and I would say, oh, that was kind of realism in a first person. Mm-hmm. So now I'm going to do third person. I'm going to do an old woman. I'm going to do a young woman. I'm going to do a young man. I'm going to do a baby. You know, like I just kept saying, you can't do what you did before. And right. if you, you don't do what you did before, then you open up these huge opportunities for yourself. Yes. And I was reading all the time, only short stories. And so one collection that not fully, but that had looked, I had looked at with Sean Vestals where he had, it was called God Forsaken Idaho. Oh, which I is a wonderful collection. And um, and he had had one that was like fantastical, like Kelly Link. I love Kelly Link. Yeah. So I put in a story like that. I was like, why don't I try fantastical? Because I don't know how to do it. Well, right. that's also the impetus, right? Like, I don't know how to do that. So then you're engaged because you're like, the entire time you're pooping your pants. Right. Like, <laughs> you are. I don't know how to do it. Right. I'm probably sure that I can't. Right. I'm just going to keep trying to do it. So this is the first historical fiction short story. First and only. Okay. The first and only. Okay. So what was the research like for it? And how many times did you 
have to rewrite it? How do you get the This story actually was one of the few. Well, so I guess you'd say that many of the stories I write are historical, you know, because some are set in the seventies or the eighties, big time periods in Alaskan history. The whole collection is based around, you know, this period from 1915 to 2017, 2015, in which, you know, Alaska has been exploited for oil resources or coal or railroads or sex trafficking or drugs, mm-hmm. which is the history of that. Right. I guess and, I was thinking like, you know, because I'm in my fifties. So that yeah, doesn't I know. feel I historical. Know. Like, <laughs> oh my God. I was talking to my girlfriend the other day and, she, and then she was like, that was 50 years ago. What were we talking about? And I said, you mean like 1970s and her saw her face go. <laughs> I know. Yeah, like you can but, kind of recreate the dialogue yeah. from the but 70s. But this is real historical, right? Yes, 1915, yes. the founding of Anchorage, the founding of what we think of as modern Alaska in many ways was that. I mean, there was lots of development before of Alaska before 1915, but this was the moment the federal government stepped in and like we had big industry and big government coming in, which is fine. But um, I had always been fascinated by the founding of Anchorage, A, because I grew up there in and out. My dad was a pilot. So we had a house in Anchorage always, I think from when I was, I think we moved up there when I was like six weeks old. So yeah, my parents came up on the ferry. My dad worked for the Native Public Health Service as a doctor. And his first job was to fly out to native villages and treat people for the first two or three years, as well as work in Anchorage. And I think that's when I was a little tiny kid. And then I think there was a very brief period for about a year that we moved back to LA where he had to get some kind of degree. I do remember that, but then we moved right back to Alaska. He loved it. He was a Californian who'd grown up like fly fishing already and duck hunting. And in Alaska, you know, we had our own planes. We we, we harvested our own food. I guess that's what you call it now, harvesting. We'd never called that. We like shot a caribou and ate it. Shot a moose. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, we didn't call it harvesting. I find that word. But, but he loved it, even though he grew up in California and he grew up surrounded. No, but there's, he'd grown up, his family had come from Idaho. They were real right. Westerners and Oregon. Actually, his family had come from Kentucky after the mm-hmm. Civil War crossed the country in the great migration of the, the Western migration, went to Oregon, then went to Idaho and had big sheep ranching lands. And then I think they sadly lost all their money mm-hmm. over a family dispute. And then they moved to California and everyone in my family who are, is a Californian, they all fly fished. They all were duck hunters. They had, they lived off the land. My dad had, grew up like ranching, sheep farming, stuff like that. And okay. so, I think Alaska was like his paradise. You so, know? What, so what do you, um, so when you start writing this story, what do you, what were you reading? Were you reading about that time period or were you reading? I had about- been reading about that time period my whole life. I'd always been fascinated by, you know, one thing I always loved was, so I grew up in the seventies, which was the heyday of the pipeline. And so, you know, that time period of the seventies and eighties was like the era of big oil, but as a kid, I'd always wondered because there was so little history told before the pipeline, before 1970, or maybe 19, I think think the um, big earthquake was 1969 or 1967, mm-hmm. I forget. But before that, you never really heard like anything. 
right. about Alaskan history. You never heard about its role in World War II or the Japanese invasion, or you never heard about, you know, Native Americans and different tribes and the Klingit. And like, you never heard, it, you just didn't hear about it. I remember sometime in my 20s, like I went on Wikipedia and I was like, why is Anchorage called Anchorage? And yeah. it turns out that Anchorage was originally what the people in Anchorage wanted to be called a town that was founded you know, basically because of a railroad to deliver coal, much in the way that oil had been delivered through the pipeline mm-hmm. between pipeline between Anchorage and, and Fairbanks was Alaska City. And okay. so I always was like, Alaska City would have been a great name. Yeah. Would have reflected the culture. Like swashbucklers of the of the great north. Right. darn it and they and what happened was the 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 federal government turned that down and then what it turns out was like the post office had had put some barge in order to get the mail to this barge it was called anchorage right the anchorage of a boat in the water right so they completely distorted the feel of the town and you thought hmm and so I actually knew very little except for that one detail. That was the only detail I knew when I started writing the story. Okay. But I had been a fan of like Deadwood. Mm-hmm. And I had always liked, who's that wonderful writer, that Australian writer who wrote about the stained glass works? Peter. I know who you're talking about. Yeah. But see, this is what happened. I know. That's yeah. why we don't sound smart. even yeah, though we- I know. But I'll just fill it in. I'll just okay. like, well, we'll I'll cut this. Yeah. And I had read that and I had always kind of loved that German director who also wrote the, um, okay, this is where we're going to, we actually should just record this one. Okay. They did the grizzly bear sh- movie that made me so angry about the guy that wouldn't live with grizzly bears. And then he also did all these other movies like the guy that did the opera house in Brazil. I don't know who that is. Grizzly man. Oh, grizzly the man. Director was Herzog. Okay. And, right. and Herzog, wrote Herzog is an incredible director. So he's famous for this Alaskan movie he made about a guy that embedded himself in the Grizzlies. And if you're an Alaskan, you know, you just want to kill him. You want to actually kill him. Because the only thing that happens when a human being thinks that Grizzlies or any other wild animal is their friend mm-hmm. is that the animal ends up getting killed. What ends up happening? Right. Because so they this just... crazy man went and lived with the Grizzlies and thought they were his friends and made movies and brought his girlfriend. It was like talking about his relationship with the Grizzlies. And then, of course, the Grizzlies ate him because right. that's not normal. But then, of course, they were habituated to humans thinking right. they would be their friends. Or worse, humans are their food source, mm-hmm. which they're not. Right. So Fish and Game just goes out and kills the grizzly. Wow. They go out and kill the animal. Right. For eating someone that came into their territory and befriended them and put food in their face. I mean. It's ridiculous. It it's- makes me so angry. Yeah. And watching the movie made me so angry. But Herzog has always had these amazing films about kind of crazy people doing terrible things to the environment. So the famous one that I saw was Fitzcarraldo. And this is where a rubber baron, an Irishman goes, I think he's in Peru, mm-hmm. tries like tries to like put an opera house and like move an opera house through like jungle Peru. <laughs> and I was really thinking about that when I was writing Extravaganza. Okay. You know, like the kind of like Western, first they try and put on in the story, first they try and put on a Catholic pageant 
play. Oh my God. Yes. The passion play. I know all about the passion plays. (laughs) My, yeah, my whole family's. I'm I'm no longer Catholic, but they are all Catholic. Yeah. I'm really not. But when I was at grad school, like 20 years ago, I went to MoCA and there was an artist who had done a thing called the 14 Stations of the Cross, mm-hmm. a modern t- interpretation of that. And then I was always fascinated with passion plays. Like I wanted to go to Switzerland and see, you know, they put on the whole thing. Right. And I kind of just would like watch them and think about it. I mean, this is for years. Well, if it happens with a short story, right. If it's like a novel for you all these threads, right? So it was like Herzog and his crazy, extravagant, flamboyant, like flamboyant films. And then watching a passion play in Germany, you know, on, on YouTube. So where do you get Genevieve then? Where does she, how did you come up with her character? Oh, and then also Deadwood. I love Deadwood. Deadwood. Sadly, I haven't watched Deadwood. Is there a character in Deadwood? No, no, it's not like that. Okay. Oh, I wouldn't say that I. It's just the. God, the I would the love atmosphere. to. I would actually love to be able to just say I liked her and I moved her over. <laughs> but, um, no, it's more like a feeling, like an atmosphere. You know, like if you go to a French bistro and then you come home and like you kind of, you know, I look at things and I don't even understand why they're registering for me, but they really are registering. And when I start to write. I'll start to write about the town. I, I I don't usually I start with like something that I'm looking at in my mind. And I was just started looking at I started thinking, oh, wow. You know, what about this tent city? And I knew where the flats were because I grew up right next to where the town is set. And I knew I'd always grown up with the legacy of people going out on our flats at Cook Inlet in Anchorage, getting their feet stuck and dying. Right. Like. We have the fastest moving tides in the world. You get your feet stuck. My dad would always tell horror stories about the newlywed couple. The wife had gone out on the flats and she got stuck. And her husband like tried to help her by putting a hose in her mouth. This actually happened, but like everybody in town knows about it. Right. And so I kind of knew that area. And then I was just started thinking, I guess all these impulses started coming in. And I thought, oh, what happens if they had a religious show? Like, you know, kind of like. I I'm, I'm actually Christian. So like, not like crazy Christian, I'm Presbyterian. Right. Every year we have like a pageant with like, you know, my son was little baby Jesus and the kids (laughs) dressed up like, like, (laughs) it's real cute. It's not actually that religious. It's sort of like a country club of religion, but um, (laughs) you know, like, Right. It's, it's like, if you feel like going, you go, if you you like God, that's also good too. Right. I might have stuck with it if mine had been like that. Yeah. (laughs) I I think that's why I have a really great relationship with Christianity that other people do not, you know, right. Right. Like there's no people. So it's full of dogs. Like everyone gets together. We have a potluck. It's not like super serious, but I, well, actually it is serious. Well, yeah, I was going to say it's not exclusionary. But you don't have like the confessional. You don't have any of that kind of stuff. Nobody gets punished. And right. Nobody gets that. Yeah. See, that's good. That would be perfect. I think you can't rewind it, though. You know, like I can't go back and be like, you know, I'll yeah. take that, that less. But yeah. anyway. So I can okay. tell you. So I was thinking about what it would be like, I guess, because over my lifetime, I've tried to explain my relationship with Christianity. And there's Christianity throughout my entire book. 
with friends I have and they're mm-hmm. all say, oh yeah, I grew up as a Catholic or I grew up in this and, and uh, we have nothing in common. I'll go, yeah, yeah, yeah. I still believe and I still go to church and they're upset and yeah. I can just feel like something happened. So I was thinking about what it would be like to have this punitive Catholic Jesus play mm-hmm. on the cross and they're in a new world and the, and the, and the tide is rolling in and it's a tent city and it's like boredom and gonorrhea everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and it was fun and I just went freewheeling through it and I thought, oh yeah. And she's addicted to opium. And then, um, I knew also the structure of the city, which is like New York city. And then it's a grid. Mm-hmm. It's A B C D on one level, like it's alphabetical on one level. And then it's, numerate avenues on the other and i knew all the old buildings so i just started populating the buildings and talking about how the instruction the buildings and kind of making a new guy but a lot of the stuff i really didn't know so i just went you know do you know what the phrase tk is no Mm-mm. so tk is a thing that you use in magazine publishing they oh, to come like to come yes and the reason yeah. why it's tk instead of tc which mm-hmm. would make sense mm-hmm is that TK is the only combination of letters that appears in no word. So if you go to search it on your Microsoft Word doc, you'll never come up with think or mm-hmm. it'll only be the TKs. And so I just put TKs when I didn't know what I was doing. And as it turned out, I deeply did not know what I was doing. Really? Because I made this wild, raucous town. And then when I went to look it up, it turned out that the federal government had come up to Alaska and started building the town and they had created all these crazy rules that it was a dry town. There was no hookers, all this stuff. It was the opposite of everything that you have read about oh in every God. Western narrative. So I was like, okay. And then I started thinking, okay, that's cool. And then I kind of thought, oh, who are Alaskans? And I thought it's going to take them five fucking minutes to circumvent these things. <laughs> right. I went like, moonlighting and circumventing you know there's all these like pictures of like people with wheelbarrows in 1915 just piled high with alcohol native people like with seals like they just totally an underground economy and so then i just started making up words like when they and i did pick certain things like the crescent hotel was a very real hotel okay and a lot of what i did was go through the alaskan library archives and just look at pictures but I do that every day. Right. I look at the Alaskan archives every day I go in or every other day and just look at pictures. So I saw pictures of, you know, like 4th of July celebrations in 1969 with like a, a sled with like huskies that they ran through or for Rondi in 19 something. You know, I'm always kind of looking at these pictures or like mm-hmm. village pictures or potlatches, which is a native celebration. Yeah just always kind of like that just files away. And so I just started renaming everything. So I knew there was a Crescent Hotel in 1915 in the tent camp. But mm-hmm. so then I made them made something called menu water. That's illegal. That is totally not true. But I made that up now. Oh, I love that word. <laughs> right. So that's so great. Okay. Yeah. So this is, this is a big question for me. Cause I was like, how much has to be true? But that, I mean, it was, it's not very true. much. Right. No, no. But I mean, I think that's that amalgamation. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, I called the Crescent Hotel because that's a real hotel. Right. I didn't have to. I could have just made that name up. But menu water is great. Like, yeah. You know, but menu water, I definitely made up. Okay. No. All right. What are some other things that you made up? Do you 
Um, I made up the passion play that I don't, that was not true. Okay. Um, I made up. So some of the things I did look into that were real mm-hmm. where, um, as you know, the, there's two women who are living in the camp and they kind of develop a, you know, a love affair on, right. at least on the part of one or the other. And right. one of them wants to become an artist. So I was very assiduous in like researching what magazine she would have applied to for her illustrations. Colliers. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also the Art Institute of Chicago, making sure that was open. Okay. They accepted things. And also the whole history of one of the women in Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. I looked up deeply about like what, but you know, I just wrote it at first, like right. blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, I would make Rich up from somewhere. Works. And then I'd look it up later because you don't right. want to, you know, die. But it took me, it took me at least a year and a half to write that I story. was going to say, so like, did you, so you went beginning to end sort of getting a story arc and then no. did the TK? No. Okay. No. I'm the worst. If only I could do what you just said. I mean, wouldn't my be life great? would be so great. <laughs> no, I write in the most like back ass way. If you want to spend and waste more time, come over and hang out with me. <laughs> it's hard to believe because you have like, it is so rich in like sound and imagery and I mean, just the, okay. But I did notice that you're unconventional and I want to ask you about that because I mean, I was just thinking deeply about your story and how, okay, we enter in, it's like we've been plopped down here in the tent city and you, and you start out with, you know, all of this stuff that you can like the mud, the suck of the boots and the mud, the thwack of the mallets, the, um, I mean, by the time we get to the Bearcat bitches and the newbie pikers, I had no idea what that was, but I was like, I know me neither. Uh, I'm no. here, but I, I made that up. <laughs> I did. love making up a good insult. There's <laughs> another story where it said like, I, it, it was referring to a man. It was called something like, uh, he had the horrors, which is the name for a headache. Yeah. If if is that headache. an actual name for a headache or? No, but I th- yeah. sometimes I just go on the internet. And I was like, what would you call a piece of crap person working on the rail? And then I'll see that it's something and then I'll make it into something else. I love that. I'm so you glad. Know? This is exciting. Yeah. Okay. So then, I mean, we're we're there. Okay. But then I noticed that I don't know how far down we are, but we're pretty far down. I want to say like four days, four, yeah. four days in, four paragraphs yeah. in or yeah. more than that before we find out it's 1915. So First, we get all the sensual imagery, and then we are all of a sudden gen- in the tent with Genevieve, and it's like, what is she doing? And there's a mahogany bed in the tent. But for <laughs> some reason, I mean, and so the reader's mind has to like really work at all this stuff. Like, how is there a tent? And there's a mahogany bed in the tent. And what is she doing? Like, I couldn't, you know, it took me a second. Oh, <laughs> And why? No, but then it was like, where is he? But this is good because... It's everything, and I don't mean this in the wrong way. I mean, it's everything you're taught not to do in your MFA program, right? Tell us where we are. Tell us what they're doing, all this stuff. But instead, you you just put us in the scene, and for some reason, we could just go. And, like, that's the magic. I don't know how you did it. I wish I'd gone to an MFA program that had taught me those things that you just said, and I'm not joking. I went to an MFA program and it was great. It was UMass Amherst. I was really lucky, but like basically all we did was like read Seabald and sit around. <laughs> right. I, I'm not so kidding. I can't Nobody taught us anything. It was I'm like, 
I know nobody is. And it's not a great way to say I'm going to go out into the world of fiction. So I say that with love. Right. <laughs> like, right. We just like read Seabold and thought about like experimental fiction. And I'm not an experimental fiction writer. So that was actually kind of a hard thing for me to break away from. But I didn't learn any of those things about like, and I do remember my agent who I love. Her name's Nicola Raji and she is the most wonderful person. Mm -hmm. And she kept saying like on the notes, like she didn't give me any notes on the entire manuscript. Which wow, that's amazing. I've heard is crazy. That is. It's say, why don't we move 1915 up a little bit? <laughs> she did. Okay. <laughs> but but I, wouldn't I, do it. I don't know why I wouldn't listen to her. No, I, I think you were no right. Idea. The rest I, of the things I listen to her about because she knows more. Right. Like, I, I don't know. This is our last story. Either people are with me or they're not. Right. Already gone through disorientation. You know, Alaska's already disorienting. Right. And when you're starting with like so many of my stories start with like a Macedon skull or like, you know, a wolf yes. womb, you know, in a suburban neighborhood, you know, you have to walking you into a tent city is almost easier than the other things that feel so surreal. I feel like at this point, or if this was the first story, it'd probably be the most familiar and easier for them to get it adapted to, you know, that it's a different world. Well, you know, and counterintuitively too, I think like if you have all of this stuff, like the thwack of the mallets and you've got the mud and you can touch, you have so much that we're just having to feel and see and, and smell and whatever. Well, that's yeah. Well, that's, that's actually there. also, that's not an accident. Yeah. I really believe like, I wouldn't say old fashioned, but it is a little bit, you know, the things I'm in the game for are things. And I know Faulkner's difficult because he was a racist, I guess. And he, I, I don't guess, I think he was. Yeah. But if you look at his aesthetic about the way he entered into your mind with sense and feeling much actually in the way that like, you know, Toni Morrison is very good at it. Like yes. it's feeling it's connection with the earth. It's, it's, it's rural. It's, it's, it's it literally black, white, any race, anybody that's also grew up. I mean, you know, 50 years ago, as we say, that's a long time ago, but you know, who had a real connection with the earth, which I always did. Right. You know, I grew up fishing, hunting, playing. I didn't get a lot of education until I was in fourth grade. Mm -hmm. And so to me, the way to feeling is the, is the like, feel. Yeah. <laughs> like, not the feeling, but the physical feel of dirt or the sound or music or the way that you perceive things sensorially. And I, that's what I want to be in my fiction. I have a brain and I don't diminish my intellectual capacity in any kind of way, but I am not in this game for an intellectual exercise. Mm -hmm. I'm in it right. for the body and I'm in it for the soul. Okay. So when you say that, so you have this time period that you wanted to enter, which you were yeah. really interested in. And then I assume that you really got interested in the story of Genevieve and um, Walter, Walter and Hazel and everybody. Yeah. I mean, so well, unrequited love, right? I yes. Mean, it's a wonderful thing. Walter's yes. in love with Genevieve, his pretend wife, and Genevieve is in love with Hazel. Right. And Hazel's in love with Art. So right. nobody's going to win here. We right. know this. Right. I mean, I didn't know it from the beginning because you never know. If you knew how it was going to play out, you wouldn't bother to write it. Right. But there's nothing better than an ache. 
mm-hmm. at least in my life. I've had so many heartaches. I know. You know. My great love affairs have just been feelings that I had for someone that didn't even know that I had the feeling for. <laughs> I know. It's so really? sad. It's so sad. It. It's so oh sad. It, dri- it drives everything. It drives everything. Because, And, you know, I definitely think about the English butler. It's a girl. Yes. And, you know, reading that book for the first time, but even the other book about the clones that were yes, living. I love he that. always has that. Never let me go. Never let I, me go. I just he had to prove that, that I could egg. come up. And I was, I was deeply thinking about that, those books and his work when I was writing the story. Really? Tell me why. Yeah, just because of the feeling of like when you're in love with someone and they mm-hmm. don't love you back and there's no hope that they're ever going to love and the craziness that you will go through. Right. You know, and how people relate to that. I think in many ways, I'm, I'm, I, I wrote down this phrase because I'm, I was dating this person and she said to me, is it really love if they don't love you back? That's what she said to me. Wow. And I thought, oh, what a different person you are than me. Yeah. Oh, you can't control oh, whether they love yeah, you back or not. Yeah, of course it's love. I mean. Right. That right, of course. I was is. like, "What a place of privilege that you've come from that you believe that's true." Like, <laughs> right. there's so many of us out there, and her right. comes, just she's like, obviously oh. didn't have that. Experience. Yeah, she's had a lot of good luck in her life, I guess, wow. or made good choices. Right. For someone like me, I mean, I'm staggering around getting whatever bit of feeling I can get. I'll take it. I'll take <laughs> right. it. You know, on <laughs> garbage yeah. or gold, I'll take it. Yeah, and and I do feel like. Every person, maybe not her. I actually, though, do believe that was her. That may have been just like a little ice cream on the poo-poo sandwich. I but, think that we've all had those moments, you know, where you're just deeply in love and they don't love you back. And it's not that they don't like you. Mm-hmm. And it's not they they're just, not trying to be kind. They're, or, there's either oblivious or they're, worse, they're aware. They're aware and they just don't feel it. And you just- And they like, can't. And they yeah. want to help you, but they can't. I wrote like the first half and then I was in this writing group with this Halima Marcus. She's a wonderful writer herself. And she's actually the editor in chief of electric litter. And she's like, I had only written, mostly I write like 10 pages and then I'll wait, I'll go to Alaska and I'll write the rest of the story. So I just collect stories. Okay. About 10 pages. And that 10 pages will take me over six months to a year. Then I'll go to Alaska and I'll finish all the stories in like five or six days. Because you're immersing yourself in the situation, in the scene again, and you can walk around in it and, or no, what, no, what is actually, it? I don't even go to Anchorage or anything. I go to my friends, um, have this amazing writing retreat called Alder Works in Skagway. Mm-hmm. And I love them. And they give me a little cabin and I don't have to take care of my kids. And I feel, and I, I, I guess I'm home. So I feel right. the landscape relaxes you and I trust them. And we're, it's actually super far. It's like, I take a 12 hour flight to an eight hour. I spend the night at a hotel, wow. eight hour ferry. And then at the time when I first started staying with them, it was a 16 mile bike ride to their house and back. And they didn't wow. have a car for me. And now they have, now they drive me because I'm old and I'm lazy. Okay. But, <laughs> but at the a time, 16 hour like, bike ride. So you could no, only 16 bring mile. 16 oh, 16 miles. Mile. I was like, 16, no, 16 hours. hours would be, I would be dead. I mean, <laughs> right. No but uh, no, and they were super sweet. So I do a lot of my writing up there. I mean, but once I get those first 10 pages, that is where I hear the voice of the characters. That is where I set up the whole tent city. That is where I got Genevieve and her kind of dissolute ways her, you know, inheritance ways. And that is where I got Walter and his penny pinching chicken farm ways. Right. You know, all of that's 
slightly well, based on my regular life, like Walter, like my grandmother was Porch Creek Indian. So, and she grew up in a chicken farm. So I just put all that on Walter. Got it. Okay. I was just going to say, where did you get like Arkansas and the yeah, chicken yeah, I farm? Got, well, and the whole- she was Alabama. Okay. But I put it in Arkansas because that's where a lot of the Trails of Tears people went. Right. And I kind of put that in her. And then Hazel, I didn't, I don't know where I got her. Hazel, I loved, well, I felt for Hazel because just, just the fact that she so wants to be an artist, right? And she's believing everything Genevieve says. I know. And then she's completely crushed. It's over for her. And Walter, he manipulates it. I know. Because he wants to be with Genevieve and he strikes like a cobra. I know. And when you get struck, you know, but the only, you know, the one of the true parts was, which I did not look up. I assumed they had burned it, the city down to build the thing. And then right. later I found out about the fires and how horrible they were. That was real. Oh, they really? They that whole thing down to ash wow. to build the city. And they drove the Denaina, the Denaina mm-hmm. over into the fish camps. And, it, you know, it was it was uh, really just as horrible. It was just as horrible as what they're doing with oil and fossil fuels and Mm-hmm. everything else but so you just superimposed this story on i just ad lived it i just yeah. improvised yeah in the fact check okay so they were saying things like you know fuck and stuff like that do you know if they okay the reason i'm I asking think the word this, fuck has existed since time eternal okay so it was cool we they all would've... think that we invented we think we invented gay sex we invented drugs we think they invented cursing <laughs> we think we invented okay. alcohol we think that we invented i don't know what porn right this shit if you look at a cave wall, there would be porn on it. The only thing it's shocking is ourselves. It's some kind of weird way that we haven't just accepted like, oh, there's been trans. Like if you go to India, I remember going to India and there was whole villages full of trans women. It was an accepted part of their culture. And it had always been part of their culture in Rajasthan. And right. I thought, wow, I'm sure there was abuses. And I'm sure there's ways that did not work out for that co- community or maybe it did. But the fact that we're all thinking that, you know, this is a new thing. We're humans. Well, I- I think like also, though, when people try and write historical fiction, at least I know this has happened to me. I'm like, oh. well, how would an Irish person have you know, been speaking in 1895? And then you start using this language that's really stilted. <laughs> you know, like, no, I've done that. Yeah. When I was writing for a long while, a novel, well, a long while for me is like, I was writing a novel. I've been very always obsessed with Shakers. And I went to like Shaker villages and I read all of the texts from the 19th century. Wow. And, and, and I started trying to write in that. And then it's remarkable how the same it is, except for like spelling things really? or like slightly affectations. I think at some point you have to think if the, if the idea, if your goal, which is my goal, there's many other people who do not have that goal. Mm-hmm is to like draw somebody into the world mm-hmm. and make them feel that's it. That's all I want to do. Right. They don't have to learn. They don't have to, you know what I mean? They just, I want them to feel something. I want them to have an experience mm-hmm. to impress on their, and their imagination. Then I'm not going to worry about it being so perfect. Right. Historically. I know. This is good to know. I this just, will be not, so- I can, I know how to do it. I have right. the information. It's not hard to figure out. But also 1915 was not that different. If you look at letters and stuff from 1915, they're mm-hmm. very similar. There were no thighs and thous, mm-hmm. and, you know. <laughs> they were yeah, in the Shaker they... community. I dropped that novel like a hot rock. <laughs> <Did you? laughs> I was like, whoa, too much work. <laughs> so it's gone. It's gone and in also, the drawer. 
<laughs> you know what? I, no, I've thought about it because it was inspired by this um, art at the studio art center called like Static Visions by Girls in Shakers. And it was about 20 years ago. And I got really obsessed. And I, I have hundreds of books about it, read all about it. And I started writing a novel. And then I realized these poor girls never had sex. Nobody in this community ever had sex. And I God, thought, that's right. I'm not sure that I can do this. Right. You know, love is a real thing. I mean, right. you can love without sex, but hmm, this is not How my. Did people. they do that? That is. Well, they went crazy. crazy. I think they went crazy into expectation, <laughs> and I might come back to it. I might come back to it, but it is the opposite. I mean, if you think about is opposite of from the Alaskan, you know, everything is kind of game. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm gonna have like it's so funny. I'm I'm writing this new novel, and I'm talking about this woman who did um, cocaine off a reindeer's ass. That's like one of the opening chapters. Wow. And the truth is reindeer are not in, they're not a native species to Alaska. They were imported as a tourist thing. And there used to only be two of them in our town who lived in a backyard pen. One was named star. And I started thinking about star, you know, we would go down and pet her. Mm -hmm. And, you know, during the, during the pipeline year, there was just so much cocaine and, I just always hear stories and I saw it like as a kid, you were like, Oh, right. Uh, and I thought, well, that's funny. Like I got the sentence, like Nancy did, was doing cocaine off a reindeer's ass. And then I had to go into like a four page description about why reindeer don't belong in Alaska. Oh, wow. That was like a Scandinavian thing. And right. now you kind of, you know, it's gotta be kind of, um, but you're writing a novel. So you have four pages. You can do that. Right now you can do well. Thank you. Mm-hmm. That feels good. Cause I worry <laughs> about it every day <laughs> as the pages accrue and the point disappears. One wonders. Right. Well, <laughs> I've, I've always heard that I've, I've not written and not, I've not Me succeeded in Kelly. Okay. If you want to have a writing group, I'm down for it. Okay. I'll keep that in mind. Every time I write okay. a novel, I keep shaving it back and shaving it back and it ends up as a short story. It's I really know, that's weird. what real stories are. Yeah. Yeah. I've never done that. I just write stories and then uh, this way I set up a formal thing. Okay. I mean, I guess I'll, there was that one story I can, that was a little bit like a novel, but that was like a novel. Okay. But, um, so the medicine, is it opium and then cocaine too? Like in the it's brass syringe? And cocaine. It's laudium and cocaine. Okay. And there was opium too. Yeah. All okay. three. Okay. And she, and where'd you get the idea for her jumping? I mean, it's perfect, right? Were you just like, of course she's going to jump and ruin her foot. You know. Oh, you know what? She- I didn't, what happened was that that actually, um, so this is actually a character technique that you can use. Oh. It's not, I, mean, I don't even know. I am a teacher. I teach NYU, but when I'm just writing a character to begin with, I start kind of drawing them out in my mind and I start talking about interesting things they might've done, which is why I would like them. Okay. So I just gave her a limp. I just made her a gimp. I thought it was fun. Right. I was like, oh, she can't be perfect. And she's rich. And she's like staggering through the mud. Also, that would be difficult for her through the mud. So it'd be even more dramatic. Right. And so I just wrote that with her, with the limp. No understanding of why. Wow. And then later, of course, when I started doing backstory, I thought, oh, that's perfect. She was a lesbian. She jumped out of the attic of her parents' house and she broke her leg. It was perfect. It was perfect. And even when it came in, like toward the end of the story, I thought, oh, this is so good. I think it's best if you're really thinking about it as a writer, just to write your front story, just to let people do things Mm -hmm. that you might not understand why. And that takes a significant amount of like faith or just like willful um, blinding, self-blinding, which is hard to do, honestly. 
Right. And just be like, you're, I'm making somebody. She loves cookies. We don't know why she loves cookies, but she right. just, she just loves cookies. And because she loves cookies, especially vanilla, pecan, sandies or something, right. snickerdoodles, that would be something. I'd be like, oh yeah, she loves snickerdoodles. <laughs> right. I'm like her, then I can write a lot about her. And then later I'll find out that, you know, you know, her grandmother had given her snickerdoodles before. I don't know. You know what I mean? Saying like, yeah. you can, yeah, yeah. That, you that's just your base. To- of right. why you like someone or why you notice someone. And then you go move from that to backstory. I don't think it helps to do backstory first. Mm-hmm. And then right. Because then you have nothing to learn when you're writing it. And I'll you learn right. about them and they, they're they not dynamic. Right. I never yeah. thought about it that way. But yes, you're right. Yeah. Also, because I don't want to, I, I get tired. Yeah. All right. So you came up with the area and then you have these characters. Were you attached First, you're attached to the location, it sounds yeah, like. Always. always the location. Okay. And always. then how do you, you know, because sometimes you'll start writing about someone and and they won't interest you that much. So if you, would you just shave that character off? <laughs> yeah, just, well, I don't write about someone that wasn't interested to me. If there's not a way in for me to fall in love with them, I'm not going to write about them. Okay. Yeah. Even Genevieve's like big, bossy, fat, know-it-all mm-hmm. husband. There's a part of me that really likes him and sympathizes with him. And that's why at the end you find out that his mother played the piano. I might not know. I I like him. That's why he married Hazel because she wanted to be an artist Mm -hmm. and his mother had been a piano player. I loved that. You know, like she went kind of crazy. Well, not. Yeah, she she was depressed. And that's why then then it makes sense. Right. Why he's covered up for Hazel, Mm -hmm. why he does all these things and pretends not to know. But I don't think you can pre-plan that. But I, I do think, I think there's a lot of writers that that can go in wanting to satire, pe- like satirize people or make them something. Right. And they're very good at it. And I respect it. But I my way into a character, even if I'm kind of making fun of them, mm-hmm. is to love them first. I think George George Saunders said that too. Like you have to. Oh, he did. Yeah. yeah, Like you can feel like you're being really snarky or whatever, but you have to get to a stage where you are seeing them as human. That yeah, that was the number one thing I learned in this collection, where I got really stuck on my first story, and I couldn't figure out why and why I couldn't go forward, and it was because I was not loving people. Wow. My like my heart was closed Mm -hmm. to them. To them, and the minute I would just take an like a paragraph or two and describe what they looked like and what I liked about it or why. I mean, it doesn't read like that, right? Like what right. they look like. I would like kind of lavish my attention on them for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then I would see them and then I, and then everything would be okay. And I like that too. In this story, especially we actually don't get big physical descriptions of them for a little while. It's yeah, more personality I, driven. Yeah. Like I don't think that you should get, but I think that personality, like physical descriptions are mostly silly. Mm-hmm. Some people are great at them and that's great. Like I was just reading McCla- uh, Elizabeth McCracken's, um, uh, oh gosh, it seems like I don't know anything. I mean, me too. And I'm not helping you every time you, I, I, you know, I'm like, so, she's going to do it again. And I can't, I can never help you. It's her latest book. It's a memoir about her mother. Yeah, I and off my phone. she goes on about her mother's hair and the thickness of it and how she washed it in the sink. And But if you look at most of that, you really don't see her mother. You know, her mother was short mm-hmm. and you know that her mother was washing her hair in the sink rather than going to the beauty parlor. But it's more the actions of people mm-hmm. and their spirit that I'm interested in. 
I'm always kind of bored and I'm always kind of worried when my grad students are like, she was four foot two. She had blonde hair. She wore juicy couture. Right. And you're like, what is, what is Gucci couture going to mean to people in, in a hundred years? What, what is that going to mean? Right. I yeah. And I like the fact that Genevieve could have been 34 or 43, depending on like the yeah. lighting. Yeah. <laughs> Della from <laughs> yes, the light. The light. <laughs> Absolutely. No, Blanche. It's Blanche oh, no, it's Blanche. It's Blanche. Yeah, That's right. Young and Stella. Well. Stella was the Stella, younger. Stella's curve. the younger one, and her sister's Blanche with the with the chiffon scarves over the. Oh my God, that's the, right. That's Tennessee right. Williams. Yeah, you know what? You're absolutely right. That apt. I love Tennessee Williams, and I was Stella in theater in the play in like high, in college. So absolutely, I was thinking about Blanche Dubois. It's amazing how many things go into creating a world. How many it, experiences? How many things you've read? How many things you've seen? How many things you've felt? I think if people are in MFA programs or just learning to write, they're controlling it so tightly that they can't allow all of that disparate knowledge to just sort of sink mm. in and I don't know together. if it's true for me. I actually think my enemy is that I'm sort of like very controlling and what that's yeah. what takes me so long. I can't dump anything in. I go sentence by sentence and I'm excruciatingly crazy about them. I mean, it takes me, you know, weeks for the first paragraph to get through. Okay, but, I, I can't even tell you. I, I and I but, wish I were different because I see like people who are successful writers just start writing. But and you, I but you allow all that different knowledge, like all those. I allow the knowledge. In. Yeah, but the composition of the sentences, the way I want them to sound, how I get over a period, mm-hmm. how I mimic sounds, how I deal with C's, and how I deal with na- vowels, and how I deal with the surprise of the imagination and revelation, and every interesting sentence. I want the sentences to be readable and feelable and emotional, but also devoid of cliches and devoid of repetitions and, you know, have a certain slant. So it takes me for fucking ever. I hate to say that. And, you know, you can tell yucky cliched thing to say, but I wish I were different. I wish I could just like spill from a font, but I'm not that person. I'm super, super. I'm like yelling and hitting myself every single minute. And, but are you getting the, um, are you getting the descriptions of place first because you're interested first in play? I mean, like, are you getting, you know, the whack of the mallet and all that stuff right away? So if you, yeah, if you look at the collection, I know that that particular story started with sounds. Yeah. Um, But in general, I usually start a story or a chapter with an item. It could Mm -hmm. be a mastodon head. It could be, I, I, sometimes it's a situation like my wife was about to leave me, but it's very rarely that I think I've only done two of those mm-hmm. or like in a story I wrote Alcan, it was about like all the magical toys that children had that she didn't like why there was a, you know, an oven that popped out cakes and why they're in the tree house. And that was about miracles and God. Like right. I usually start with um just like a thought that I've always had my whole life mm-hmm. or, or I'll be looking at something and, you know, very specifically in my mind, like a rock or it, it doesn't have to be anything crazy. One time it was just a box, like a bottle of Mazzola corn oil, mm-hmm. just looking at that. And then when you look at it or you hear it and then thinking how that, then the next part is who's looking at it, okay. who's hearing it, who is right. that person? 
And then once you start sort of writing how they interpret this, this thing outside them, then you have your character. Then you start mm-hmm. to draw them. And then you start to think what they want and why they're looking at that. Right. That's so yeah. fascinating. Okay. So in this story, you go ahead in time. Did you did at some yeah. point you realized, um, oh, I have to, you know, jump ahead, you know, mm. many years. No, that was that I'm so glad I did that. I can't mm-hmm. believe that I did it. It was, it was fantastic. Scary. Mm-hmm. Um, it came directly out of writing. I wrote a memoir about 10 years ago called Still Points North. I'm and just reading memoir, that now. Oh, thank you. (laughs) One of the mistakes that I feel about the memoir was my editor was like, please jump ahead in time. And I had read um, Tobias Wolf. Yes, This Boy's Life. And within like the first third pages, he starts talking about jumping ahead to Vietnam War and reflecting on his past. And it was really cool. And I think I did it once in that memoir. And at the time, my, my editor was like, you should do it a lot more. You should reflect back on your childhood. And she was right. Mm hmm. But I had read Alexander Fuller's Don't Let's Go to the Dog Tonight, where she never jumps forward. And I just was like, I want to stay in child magical land. I don't mm-hmm. want to jump forward. And so I did it that way. And I think it's fine. Yeah. But I think if I were to redo it, I think I would have been, I think that adding that jump to the forward adds a lot of like color. And so I didn't do it there. And I'd always thought, hmm, what would that be like? And so There's- in the story, I just said, I think I'll try it. But I was writing it in real time. It wasn't like I got to the end and then I would just say, okay, I think you should probably jump forward and say something. So I would make up some detail. I'd say like 20 years later when he was living alone. You would. And you yeah, didn't know. I would just like- put something in there. Because <laughs> you I were like, just, it's t- you were just yeah, thinking it's time to go And I didn't even know what for- it was. Yeah. And then I would keep writing and about half the time it worked out great. Wow. You know, I'd be like, oh yeah, you're right. He was alone. Oh my or God. sometimes you have to go back and like change it a little bit or add some extra ones, but no. I know. And then he married the buck tooth grocery I, store. Store. <laughs> it was like, I know, oh, yeah. Walter, I mean, fine, but that didn't yeah, sound that I exciting. Kinda, I just kept adding different little things and thinking, hmm. And then, you know, it's sort of great. Like if you think about the way people think about how their lives play out. Yeah. It's very similar to the mental consciousness, right? Like, I don't fully believe this. I actually Mm -hmm. think a, you know, the world is arbitrary. Right. And B, there's a huge amount of like luck and circumstance and privilege that play into these things. But on the third part, there often is like also how we influence them, Mm -hmm. you know? And so because I was playing God, that's what it is when you jump forward. Right. I was playing God. so fun. You just have to like say, I'm going to do it. Okay, so who came? All right, well, it reminded me of the story. Um, one of my favorite stories that does that is Jennifer Egan's uh, Safari. Oh, God, she's such a good writer. Oh, my God. I think it's called Safari. Watch it not be, but we don't um, care. Okay. We don't care. <laughs> right. But I mean, she did it so masterfully. And yeah. of course, I'm sure Alice Monroe does that because she does everything. You know what? I feel like an asshole. And I'm going to just say it right now. I don't like Alice. I am not a fan of Alice Monroe. Shut I up. am an admirer. Not even Thanksgiving I, Day or like. No, the, I don't no. want to. I, 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 I can't believe I'm, I'm just going to say it out loud. I know everybody <laughs> in the world loves her. And honestly, I have huge respect for her. If I met her, I'd be like, you are an amazing writer. Right. You are way more talented than me. You're way more gifted than me. I've got it. But there's something about her approach to art, which is so fundamentally different from mine, that um, it's hard for me to access the emotions that she's creating. 
Interesting. Her delivery is so much quieter. Mm-hmm. And it's not quite in that way that sometimes you get with English writers, which I love, mm-hmm. which is like held back, like it's a girl or, or, oh God, like, well, Henry James in a way, though he's American. Right. But Henry James had these elaborate sentences, but like everything was kind of held back. Mm-hmm. Metered um, out kind of. Yeah. Yeah. And so then you're kind of dying for the feeling. Mm-hmm. Old do you, but, or like Edith Wharton does the same thing. Super. So that one gesture can be filled with. Right. Me, you're just that so love, desperate. Yeah. <laughs> but there's also a kind of like lavishness of prose. Like it'd be one gesture, but there's like, they, you know, had a headdress and they, and they, you know, right. But Monroe's, I just, I can't, I can't, I don't know what I've read every single thing over and over again. And maybe we're so close. So I highly doubt it. People have said like, and I think, no, we have absolutely nothing in common. Yes. I see Flamery O'Connor. I see Barry Hannah. I see those things, even though I wasn't thinking about them at the time. Yeah. You have that like novel in a story thing going. Just oh, like, she is a novel in a story. Yeah. Yeah. And you remember that too. one story she wrote also about the two boys. It was a boy and a girl. And like they went across the street to this old guy and he molested them. No, I did Last not. Last story. How in, in the world do I not know that? One? I don't know. It's very crooked and it's very complicated to understand. It's very, very subtle. I mean, she's a great writer. Yeah. There's no question. She's probably not like Elizabeth the Kraken. I, I worship. I don't think you have to like everybody. That's for sure. I mean, well, I think you can respect everybody, but where, what are your touchstones? I guess is the difference. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's the thing where also you just say, you know, so much of who you are is saying, I'm not that. One last thing about the story itself. Cause I, I don't want to not ask this question. Cause I wondered about it so much what I gathered happened is Genevieve writes the telegram and says, there's this woman, she writes the telegram about herself and then they come get her. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, she's Genevieve, just like, Genevieve orchestrates her own self-destruction. They come yeah, and get her. Yeah. She just she's is like, I'm done. Because Walter, you know, causes Hazel to stop doing art because yeah. of his lie. So then she gets pregnant. And so then, and she doesn't want to have anything to do with Genevieve. And so then Genevieve causes the Pinkertons essentially to come get her. And then that's it. Do they just, what do you imagine happened? They killed her. They took her off. They raped no. her. I mean, I don't even care what happens after the yeah. ending, but if you really think of it, they probably just took her back to Milwaukee and put her in a tower and, her you know, and that was it. And yeah. She lived her ordinary life. I mean, it doesn't matter, right? Her life is over. whatever chance she had to be herself was finished. Yeah. It's, I don't think it would kill him, but I think it would not be, you know, it could be chapter two. Maybe she escaped. Maybe, maybe she's, <laughs> maybe she got over it at home and then just was like, yeah. I'm going to do it again. Cause she had so much, um, she was so vibrant. She was so sassy. She just, I know I, fun to write, right? Really fun. Yeah. Okay. Now I've gone way over. I know what I wanted to ask you one last thing. Okay. So you write the memoir first and then you switch to short fiction. What was that transition like? Oh, okay. So the memoir was a blip anyway. Okay. It was. You were writing short. So I I went to, I'd always been writing short fiction all along. Okay. I didn't know. And I like ended up, and I mean, I would, I'm only going to say this to your readers because I want them to hear my mistakes and not repeat them. Okay. But what happened was like, I'd been writing short fiction Right out of grad school, I got an agent and I had a collection of stories. I was not pleased with them. 
Mm-hmm. No, no, I didn't ever publish them. Like oh. I could tell there was something wrong. I knew there was something wrong with those stories. I was, every time I would get to the end and it'd be like a wholesale panic. I couldn't figure out what to do. I didn't know where we were going. I knew there was something wrong, but I had great line work and I had be- beautiful images. I think many people would have published the stories mm-hmm. and they would have done well, but mm-hmm. I had this like sick feeling in my soul that it was fucked up and I was wrong. So you didn't even try and, nope. um, you just, you didn't even try no. and publish them in journals no. or anything. Wow. No, okay. they're published in a lot of journals. Oh, actually, they were. Journals. Yeah. Okay. They were all published. Okay. Um, but I just was like, I don't know. I felt funny about them except wow. for one. And um, then I started writing a novel and I had like beautiful chapters and it was like a really good 100 pages. And I went somewhere off the, you know, now we're like eight years in, I'm like 35 right. years old and have a baby. And um, people had all along had told me to write a memoir, but I was so discouraged, I guess, having written a collection of stories that I didn't feel was good. And then having written a novel, which I knew was bad. This is so that important just for people to hear. That wasn't yeah. just a feeling like people yeah. would be the first 100 pages of the novel and be like, I want to bust it. I want to represent you. This is, I was sending it to agents. Right. Yeah. And then they get to page 101 and they'd be like, what the, what, what, um, and then be <laughs> radio silence. <laughs> You're like, when you've hit like 28 of those, you know, right. Something no good. It's not happening for you. Well, it had to be slightly good because they read that far. Okay. Yeah. So give wow. yourself. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, I yeah, mean, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. And this is really good for people to it's like, hear. know your strength. Like I'm really good at writing a sentence and I'm really good at writing a character. How do you create a, a lasting narrative was a real thing for me. It took me a really long time. Right. And then 2008 hit and I was super broke and I, I and everyone had told me to write a memoir and I literally wrote like 80 pages of the memoir wow. and it was so easy and, and I knew it was good. I knew right. it was hot shit. I wasn't worried. We had like lots of people competing to sell it in a market like where nobody was nobody was selling anything. And you could tell like that's one of those things you're like, oh, oh." (laughs) then I of course, I only wrote 80 pages and sold it again. Notes to writers out there. So then I spent like three or four years trying to finish it because I didn't know how to write a narrative. Oh, my God. And they kept being like, where's your book? And I kind of screwed myself. They'd be like, well, you signed the book a long time ago. Your editors left. Right, right. And they give you, do they give you the money ahead of time when you're doing Yes, of course they did. Oh my God. I needed it really badly. So Mm -hmm. I'm really happy they did that. My children, you know, got to have like toothpaste. Right. Uh, And then at the end, at the end of that process, after the memoir came out, I was like, I had like a kind of reckoning where I tried to write a couple novels for about a year. And then I just said, you know, the first thing I always wanted to write were these stories. And I was right. I wasn't, I was close, but no cigar. It's like, I'm going to just learn how to write the perfect short story. I'm going to write masterful short stories. And that's what I'm going to do, or I'm never going to write again. That's it, period. Wow. And I just started reading. All I read were short stories. I wrote the stories for about four or five years, mm-hmm. 2014 to 2019. Okay. I know they didn't come out till 2020, but that was because of the pandemic and I pushed it off. But I was just, I would read. I'd always read them. I studied structures. I thought about it. I mapped things. I tried things. I was like, I'm only going to do one thing. And they're going to be perfect novel-like stories, full of emotional power and beautiful language and tight, tight structure. So you mapped out those stories. My goal was emotional power, Mm -hmm. tight structure, beautiful language. I want to have all three elements. And if it doesn't, so within those eight, that made the collection, there were probably 21 that were very good. Wow. 
but they lacked one of the three things. Mm-hmm. And I would give them to people and they'd say, you should publish this. And I go, no, I know. I mean, I was really like very rigid. Right. Controlling. I was okay, like, so when did you learn to trust yourself like that? And then I, I will let you go. Cause I think, we, I, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, we should go. No, no, yeah. no. It's so, it's dinner. like, I'm just gonna make a chicken soup. I, I know, but um, this is good when it goes long, but I, I don't I'm I learned how to trust myself. That. I guess through so much failure. I mean, I guess every time I've messed up in writing was not listening to myself. Every time I've messed up in live writing was going, oh, that'll be pretty good. Just fudge it. You know, just keep mm-hmm. going. Yeah. And I knew it wasn't good. I shouldn't have taken the novel that way. Or I'd say, oh, this is so bad, but it was good. At some point, you know, I think also, A, listening, figuring out some relationship with yourself that's reasonable. Mm-hmm. It's authentic on some, even a tiny level. And I don't mean like it's all the way authentic, 70% right. bullshit and just 30% of like, I should hire that babysitter because she seems good or no, that lady is going to like do cocaine while she's <laughs> looking after my baby. Like that sound in your head. Right. No, you can't look after my baby. That actually right. was something one time. And I think that approach to your writing too. And then also narrowing. I did not say I want to be a world's grace writer. I did not say I want to like be a best-selling author. I did not say I wanted to like, be queen of writing. Mm-hmm. I said, I want to write masterful short stories with these three elements, period. That's so good. when you make a little small area and you're just going to stand and pee in that area, right? it's easier. That's you your know? territory. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. This is so helpful. I think people will be so, so glad to learn that, especially about publishing because I mean, everything, but at the end also about publishing and just trusting yourself and not putting stuff out there that you're, that you don't want to put out there. You know, there's, there's enough, there are enough books out there in the world. I don't even think it's like, it's not even like that grandiose. It's just like, I don't want to feel like crap. Right. You know, I already have imposter syndrome where I think, why would anyone want to listen to me? Right. If I thought this story wasn't very good, then what would I do? I'd be standing up there thinking, oh, right. you know what I mean? and you have to go on tour. You know, you have to be proud. Of, I mean, yeah. you have to be like, I did the best I can. And I, I'm very proud of this work. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much, Kelly. This was wonderful. We can do this again anytime you want. I mean, I loved it. Such a good interviewer. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you are enjoying the podcast, we would love for you to tell your literary friends. Sign up for the newsletter at kellyforden.com. Visit our new Facebook page at Let's Deconstruct a Story. Uh, Like the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And of course, we'd always love a donation if you feel inspired. Thanks so much to Elliot Vansell for his amazing audio production prowess. See you next month. Bye.